this. All right, there we go. Good morning. Man, what a privilege and honor it is to be here. I have a lot of friends here in the house. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Chris Whitney. I pastor Nashville Family Church, and I run and founder, director of a ministry called One Generation Away. And uh, we feed people. And so I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about what we do and um, actually uh, selfless promotion, uh, selfish promotion, whatever you want to call it. I just wrote a book called The Dirty Church, which is about uh, what we do with One Generation Away. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about a little bit briefly about one of the chapters in that book. I'm not going to be able to give you the whole chapter, but you'll get a little taste of what it's about. And if you were here almost a year ago, I actually, the first, the very first chapter of this book was the message I preached at this church. So um, I just am thankful to be here this morning, and I want to talk to you about serving and you this morning. And if you've got a Bible or you want to look on the screen, you can look to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together. Father, I thank you for the tongue of a ready writer, a word instant in season. And I pray, Father God, that every heart, mind, and ear is open to receive what you'd have to say today. Father, we thank you that you've called us for such a time as this. And we pray, Father, for your kingdom come and your will be done to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here we are, Lord. Send us, use us, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, if you're familiar with this set of this, this chapter of the Bible, it was talking about who's going to be greater. You know, these two moms come and they said, you know, we want, we want our sons to sit at the right hand, the left hand. And there was this argument amongst the disciples, who's going to be the greatest? We live in a society that is driven by you being the greatest. Now, I'm not here to tell you you shouldn't strive to be your best. You shouldn't strive for excellence. I believe we should try to be excellent in everything that we do. But I believe greatness is a motivation of the heart. And if your greatness is for the wrong motive and the wrong reason, then we got an issue. Our motive should be to honor God. That should be it totally. I, I honestly, there was a time in my life when I wanted to be the greatest at everything I did. I've come to realize that may not be the case. And I'm okay with that. But I can tell you this much. I vow to God to give every fiber of my being to him and to serve him with the most excellence that I have inside of me. That would be the greatest thing I could give God. That to me is greatness. And that's what I'm hoping you come, to come away from this today. We're going to spend our time in Ruth, the book of Ruth this morning, and we're going to finish with some other scriptures. Um, so you've, if you would look at Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. We don't have time to go through the whole book. I do a lot more of it in the book that I wrote. I talk a lot more about the whole, the whole story of Ruth, and we don't have that kind of time this morning to, to go into all that. So if you're not familiar with it, Ruth, uh, Ruth left, uh, was married to one of the sons of Naomi, and Naomi's husband passed away, and she had uh, two daughter-in-law. She had two sons that were married, and both the sons passed away. So she's, she or she is with two daughter-in-laws and, um, in another country now. They left Bethlehem and went to Moab. And so they, they, the sons married um, women that were not of the, of the tribe 
that they were from, obviously, and so they married outsiders. So we're going to pick it up in verse 15 of Ruth chapter 1. It says, And he said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be, and there will I be buried. To the, the Lord do this so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. I love Ruth's heart. Isn't that amazing? Her heart to serve is off the charts, I believe. And there's a couple, there's several key points in this, in this little bitty book, and just even the first couple chapters, that I believe should motivate us and, and influence us for the rest of our lives. Now, like I said, I talk about in, in my book, I talk a lot about serving. I talk about serving in marriage, serving corporately. So there's a great, there's a great progression of what serving looks like all across many spectrums of our life. But today we're talking about serving and you. A couple things about service. Service always, always, always requires sacrifice. You all look so excited. <laughs> it does. It requires sacrifice. You're going to have to give something up. But see, Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. And what did Jesus do? Sacrificed. The other thing that service always, always, always requires is commitment. You want to know why our service wanes in certain situations? Because we're not committed. Now, I've had many people tell me I need to be committed, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about a commitment to do something. And I find that in life that, that many times is we, we get drawn in to commit to things that we are not really committed to. You ever done that? I've done that many a times. I've committed to things that I'm really not committed to. I love what Lauren said this morning about committing to read the Bible. And uh, I get convicted about that. About three years ago, I did a thing with our church. We read the Bible in 90 days. We read the whole Bible cover to cover in 90 days. So this year I got up and I was really convicted again this year about something. So I, I felt like I wanted to make a commitment. I want to read the Bible twice a year. I want to read the cover to cover twice a year. So I'm on a plan right now to read the Bible in six months. And I want to continue that. I'm, I'm, I'm believing God. I'm, I'm committing to do that the rest of my life, to read through the Bible twice a year. Now, I'm not doing that to convict you. I'm doing that to say that's my active service to God. One way that it keeps me motivated, keeps me plugged in to serve and commit to do something so that I can serve others. Now, as we move on in this story in Ruth, let's go on to chapter 2. It's interesting what Ruth does in chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may have find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to the servant, Who was in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? 
So here's Naomi. She vows to leave her land that she knows to follow her mother-in-law. Now, we're not even going to go into the in-law thing. You know what I'm saying. I mean, sometimes we don't even want to follow our parents, much less following an in-law. And she's committed that I, I will die where you die. I'm giving everything I have to follow you. Now, here she goes to this country. She goes to a, a nation she doesn't know of, a country she doesn't know of, and she decides to go do some. She decides to go glean a field. Do y'all know what that's like? That's work. And that is not nice work. It's the kind of work nobody wants to do. So what she's doing is she's picking crop, picking up a seeds or picking up a harvest, following behind and, and gleaning it. And, and it's, it's interesting when I read this story because we work with gleaners when we deliver, as we deliver food. There are farms all over this country that, that may grow a crop that they have no place to take it to. So instead of throwing it away, they give it to gleaners. There's one called the St. Andrew Society through the Methodist Church. And they'll go glean a whole farm and get a truckload or two truckloads maybe of, of cabbage or lettuce or some type of produce that people go and serve and volunteer to go get. So I, I just I wanted to give you a, a picture of that, that. Some people want to know, why do I call my, what did I call my book, The Dirty Church? was because I believe it's time for us to get dirty as the church. We're way too clean. And I don't mean that in a vulgar way, but I mean it's just we need to be out in the highways and byways and seeking and saving that which is lost. And the best way I know to seek and find somebody is to go serve them, which is what Jesus did in the example he set before us. And we're going to see several more examples of, of, uh, as we go along. In verse 6, it goes on to say, So the servant of chapter 2 of Ruth, So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with, a no, uh, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not, do not glean in another field, no gore from here, but stay close by my young women. You will find that serving leads to divine connections. Now let me state something right now. You don't serve to get anything. I don't feed people so I can get something. And if you saw the people we serve, you know they have nothing to give back. So that's not why I serve. I don't serve so I can, I don't feed people so I can get up here and talk to you. It's not why I do it. I do it because I have this passion and commitment to do what I believe God has called me and gifted me to do. But I'm telling you right now, in doing what I'm doing, I have made some unbelievably divine connections in my lifetime. And I wish I could go into some personal stories well, I'll tell you one. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I, I do this a lot in my book. I tell stories about me, and, and you get to realize, for all of you that think I'm this great Christian, you'll realize that it's not, I'm not that great of a Christian. I'm just a guy that's got a lot of faults and a lot of flaws, and God's at work in me to will and do of his good pleasure. Amen? I'm a work in progress. I am under construction. So if I say something that offends you or, or makes you mad... 
Praise the Lord, you have to forgive me. I am a work in progress. Amen? I remember when I had gotten saved and uh, uh, 20-something years ago, whatever it is, 28 years ago now, something like that, a long time ago. Uh, and I remember somebody saying to me that they, that, you know, that they thought I was called to be a pastor, and I told them that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Just to be honest, that's what I told them, you know. And uh, she was right, and so was my wife. So my wife's always right. So I've been married for 29 years. You can tell that, haven't you? It took, took her 25 to train me, but I'm now catching on. But anyway, I, so I, I, had this, I had this, what I felt was this gifting and this calling to pasture and lead people. So I went to, I, I, I wanted to do something, thought, Lauren will love this. I, I walked up to the youth pastor and I said, I want to help with the youth. And I mean, after he passed out, because nobody ever walks up to a youth pastor and says, I want to help. It just doesn't happen. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. So I, I started helping, and then there was, you know, he had an opportunity that he was going to promote somebody to be like his right-hand man. It was me and another guy, and I thought, well, obviously, if he's hearing from God, I am the man because I'm called to preach. I mean, come on. If you're going to pick anybody, it should be me. Well, he didn't pick me. He picked the other guy. So everything was cool, and then we just kept praying, and, and God moved us to another church, which, which was a God thing, and that's another story for another day. And then we ended up, that church ended up getting really strange doctrinally, and we walked away from the whole plan and call God had put on our lives, literally walked away from this, from this plan to be licensed, ordained, the whole deal. But the church got so weird doctrinally, we had to leave, so we left. And I, uh, go to this, we go to this other church that ended up, you know, is the church we moved from there to here, but that church was about three or 4,000 people, and we ended up becoming the youth pastors of that church. I was not a paid youth pastor. Church was thousands of people, but they didn't have a paid youth pastor. So I, I was a youth pastor, ran a full-time insurance business, had three kids, a wife. So, yeah, I was a busy guy. But as I was youth pastoring and I'm pastoring, a guy came up to me and says, hey, I wanted to ask you about becoming an usher. That's what I did. I laughed. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Me, a youth pastor, stepped down to be a lowly usher? How dare you? I know you're out there going, man, you really are a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much was, and I pretty much am some days. But see, God was teaching me something about serving. So I told him, man, I'm way too busy for that. Then I started to pray, and God started to convict me. So I put my hat in hand, as they say, and humbled myself and went back and said, man, I'd, I'd be honored to be an usher. Well, that ushering thing led to more things than you'd ever may. I'll tell you two quick stories, and people you may or may not know. One was a lady named Marilyn Hickey, who's famous evangelist around the world, has been all over the world. Coming to our church one night, I was working at night, and, and anyway, a neighbor called, wanted to watch our kids, which was a miracle, because that never, ever happened when we needed somebody to watch our kids. She never could. She calls, wants to watch our kids. The guy that ran the usher said, I want you to be at church tonight, because I feel like God's telling me you're supposed to be there. So I went, and Marilyn Hickey called me out of the audience and, and had a really strong prophetic word over, over, over me and over Elaine that changed our lives. Then another night, they called me, and we had a guy named Lester Summerall. And Dr. Lemons knows who Lester Summerall is. He's written some, written some great books on faith. Lester Summerall was the first man to get a radio station into China. 
to break down the bamboo curtain. Anyway, that night I come to, come to Usher, and they said, we want you to shadow Lester Summerall. So I sat in the back of a ready room with Lester Summerall at 70-something years old after his wife had passed away, and he started showing me an ocean liner with grain that he was shipping across to feed people in China. Had no food, was never on my radar screen ever. Here's one of the most famous preachers in all the world sitting next to me talking about his baby, an ocean liner, feeding people. So I'm telling you right now, serving leads to divine connections. You're going to get in front of the right people, in front of the, in the right place at the right time. If you feel like you never get an opportunity to be where you're supposed to be, start serving someone. Get in, active in serving. Ruth didn't do this for attention. She did it because of love and a serving heart. We're going to keep going in, in, in the second chapter of Ruth in verse 9. We're going to keep reading down. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down on the ground, and said, Then why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And we're going to cut some of this off because we don't have much time. But serving leads to favor. Serving leads to favor. Here's Boaz, the man that's got this, this great fields and all this. And here's this foreigner that came to serve her mother-in-law who ends up getting in front of the man that owns the fields. And now he's telling her, I've told my young men not to touch you. You can have favor with getting drinks and water, rest. He, he even goes on to say that you were gonna, we want to make sure that you get more food. He tells his people to instruct her to make sure she gets more food to take home with her than almost anybody else would. One thing about serving, too, is you don't need to be part of the in crowd. You ever feel like you can't serve because you're not one of the in people? Man, I'm glad you, I'm the only one. She was not part of the in crowd. She's a foreigner. So you don't have to be part of the in crowd to serve. That has nothing to do with it. One of the great truths about this story that, that you don't think about, so as, as, as Boaz goes on to say about the water and, tell, and instructing them to make sure she gets more grain, see, she's taking that food home to feed her mother-in-law. I've come to find out something in our lives. We've been through a few things in our life. We've had a child born with spina bifida, walks, a miracle story. She's had like 12, 13 surgeries. Two years ago right now, I was being treated for cancer in my tongue and tonsil and throat. I was in the middle of radiation and chemotherapy treatments two years ago right now. We've been through some stuff. I got a lot longer list, but you don't want to hear them. And we don't have time. But we found something out. That in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our situation, that if we would find someone else to go serve, that God would show up in our life and show out, as they say in the African-American churches. So I want to encourage you today, if you're struggling, if you're struggling financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, find someone else to go serve. And God will speak to your heart, I promise you. If he doesn't, I'll give you my cell phone number. You can call me every night at 2 in the morning and wake me up just because I was wrong. But I, I'm, I'm that strong and believe that will never happen. 
So serving leads to divine connections. Serving leads to favor. Service also gives you identity. Could you imagine this girl? I start thinking about Ruth. She leaves her nation, the only land she knows. She goes to a land she knows not of. She starts to do a menial task, a menial job. And yet she's sitting before the king. There's a great verse in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. This is another message for another day, but I, I firmly believe this. The devil cares about one, getting one thing out of you, and that's your gift. The devil wants your gift. Doesn't want your call, doesn't want your purpose, because the other two won't happen if he gets your gift. So you're gifting, what you're gifted in is probably where you're best likely to serve. You want to know why? Because you're committed to your gift. That's where your commitment is. If you're gifted to play music, guess what? You're committed to learn. If you're gifted to speak, you learn how to speak. If you're gifted to sell, you learn how to sell. Whatever it is, if you like to sew, you like to bake, whatever that is, the devil wants your gift because that's where your service is going to come from. We always need to remember our identity is in Christ. And you'll always be part of the in crowd with Jesus. In Colossians 3.3 it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In Psalm 23 in verse 5, Dr. Lemons, I meet with him virtually just about every Friday, every chance I get. We've been to Arkansas together. We do, I do anything I can to spend time with him and just to, to glean the wisdom that he has. But he told me this great story about two rabbis talked to him about this verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And he, he would, in Miami, when he was in Miami, met with two rabbis. He would meet with two rabbis. And these rabbis were telling him what this means in the Hebrew language and the visual effect of this. And what it means is that God himself, God himself, will don a waiter's outfit, a chef's outfit, and he will sit you at a table, the head of the table, and the devil will be on one side and your enemies will be on the other, and God himself will serve you. Now, if God served you and Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve, where does that leave us? I should just be able to end right there and just be, we ought to all go out and do something right now. So you don't ever have to question, should I serve? If God serves us, Jesus serves us, we need to serve others. John 14, 7. If you had known me, you would know have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Why did I put that verse up there? Because if you had known me, I did not come to be served, but to serve, you would know my Father also. Who is going to serve us? In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, I'm going to finish up with this, and then I'll share a little bit about what's going on with one gen, so you all know, just to keep you in the loop. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. And you can read the rest, but I'm going to stop there because I want two more things I want to get with you. You must discard your identity and embrace your identity. That's really confusing, isn't it? You need to discard the identity that's keeping you from serving and being all that God wants you to do. And you need to embrace the identity God has given you, your life in Christ. You need to boldly step out in that identity and go and serve someone else that has need. And I can promise you, you don't have to look very far. If you want to know where to go to find need, go to Williamson Medical Center. I promise you, you walk in the emergency room, there's a bunch of need in that room. I'm not kidding. Go to a nursing home. Go to a school. Go anywhere. Walk into a church. There's so much need. Find a place to use your gifting. I'm going to leave you with this last phrase. I'll share with you what's going on with one gen and what we're up to. Commitment leads to consistency. Consistency leads to credibility. Credibility leads to an open heart to receive, which leads to impact. I'll say that again. And why, why God, I, I, I really, I was in a meeting and a guy said, consistency trumps commitment. And I thought, man, that's a powerful saying. And I came home and prayed about it. And this is what I felt like God spoke to me. This is what we do at One Gen, and this is what, what we live about. This is what serving evolves to me. Commitment leads to consistency, which leads to credibility, which leads to an open heart to receive, which leads to impact. If you want to impact the world for the kingdom of heaven, then you need to start serving. Amen? Amen. All right. I want to share with you what's going on with One Gen Away. We've got some year-end numbers for you we're going to put up here. This church has been such a gift to us. We did 556,875 pounds of food in 2015, which equates to 428,365 meals in Middle Tennessee. 1.13, almost $1.14 million worth of food is what we did in 2015. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you can clap. That's worth it. And a lot of that's thankful to this church. Your support for us is amazing. Uh, we are starting to pick up Costco now on top of Whole Foods three days a week. We pick up Costco every Thursday and Sunday morning. If you want to know where I was this morning at 6.30, I was at Costco picking up produce and bread and cookies and cakes. So if you all would like to come volunteer on a Sunday morning at 6.30 for about an hour, we'd love to have you. I'm not kidding. You're laughing. I'm not laughing. We've got a team, we're building teams of people that will go and pick up Costco, put it in our refrigerated truck, and um, right now leave it in there. But this Friday, Panera Bread's donating a walk-in cooler to One Gen Away. And, and a walk-in freezer is coming. So, where are we at? I need your help, man. I want to feed more people. There's more opportunity to feed more people. We've fed people, I think, in eight counties or something this year. And, and this year coming up, we already have 16 trucks scheduled. We're probably going to do over. We did 18 last year. We already have 16 on the books this year. So we'll probably do 20 to 22 trucks at least this year. And we'll probably serve 
10 counties at least in Middle Tennessee this year, feeding the poor. So what can we do? What could you do to help? Well, I feel redundant, but you, you, all, you all bought us a 16-foot refrigerated truck. Thank you. Something happened Saturday before last that I would vow would never happen, but it did. I had somebody call me with a huge load of food that I couldn't go get that was wasted because my 16-foot truck was loaded from Costco from New Year's Eve. <laughs> and I didn't have enough. My, other, my 26-foot truck is shot, basically, not drivable. I need a 26-foot refrigerated truck really bad. It's going to be about $30,000. That's our biggest need, next to just support and, and you all volunteering. So that's where you know where we're at. We're, going to, we're planning on doing, um, you know, we, we want to deliver more meals. I want to get up to 750,000 meals this year coming up. So we need your help. We feed people. We pray with people. We prayed with thousands of people this year. I only last year, coming into this year. Our next distribution, I saw Brian Bass walk in earlier. I know he's here somewhere. Our next distribution is Friday the 22nd with Renaissance High School. Um, we need volunteers. It's at our parking lot at 1715 Columbia Avenue. So that's our next food distribution locally. And uh, I need to stop because it's late. So, But thank you to this amazing church for what you've done. If you'd like to read the book, you like a little bit what you hear, you have it available out here in your uh, Welcome Center. And if you think you're buying the last one, we got more. Don't worry about it. You're good. Buy the last one. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.